Well, I mean, you know, I you know, I'm a big boy. I can read. So they, <laughs> so they say. <laughs> and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Alright, I guess we can get started. Let's get it started. Ha! Right now. Who's bringing us in? Not it. I can bring us in if you want. Let's go. What are we doing? Tarot 4, okay. No, we're not doing Tarot 4. Scott and I haven't read Tarot 4 yet. Oh, never mind. God damn. I'm tired, man. I'm working. I'm the only one of us that are working. That's true. We're not not arguing with you about that. Now i got to do 12-hour shifts? Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to work. Somebody's got to keep me and Scott in the the lifestyle to which we've become accustomed. (laughs) <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. Well, guess what, everyone? We're all the, the gang. Hell, hell, the gang's all here. <laughs> that chuckle you heard was Scott. Hello, Gardner. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's Scott. Hello, my baby. Hello, my, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my ragtime <laughs> gal. Remember my heart's on fire. And that was Paul Michigan J. Spataro. I don't know. What's up, everybody? We are here to do not one, not two, but three fantastic and exciting books for your listening pleasure. Three. You don't want to make promises we're not going to keep. Let's see. How oh, we, we are do. going to keep. We are going to keep. Uh, we're at least going to keep the promise for my book because I, I'm telling you, I did the homework. I wrote up the synopsis. I took notes. I did everything. And you guys, I'm sorry, everybody, we're so. out of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, cut for time once again. So sorry. See you next week. Scott. Scott's, sit, Scott's sitting in the green room all this time. Writing up synopsis after synopsis. You go in there, it's like one of those like the crazy people rooms with all the papers <laughs> taped to the wall. Oh, that's that's right, because I cut cut you off last week. I was like, eh, yeah, I'm tired, and we've just been babbling for like an hour, like 20 <laughs> minutes. So oh, that's, that's all. That's all, folks. We couldn't even open the email. <laughs> so what do we cover tonight? Well, we, yeah, we, we, have we, we have at least in theory three books. We have hopefully. a theme going here. Yeah, yeah. Tell us the theme, Scott. It is karate, karate, and monkeys? 
It was Fight Fight Ape. <laughs> fight Fight Ape. I love it. Fight Fight Ape. <laughs> ape shall not. Karate Ape. So ape who's uh, who's got the first? Are we going in date order or how are we doing this? Well, I think we go well, back to our traditional and we go Marvel, DC, Indie. Oh, so then we'll be Ape Fight Fight. Okay. Ape Karate Karate. <laughs> no, it's monkey karate karate. Uh, ape fight fight. Okay. I I can't think of anything else that's really. I mean, you know, I could maybe do something with orangutan, but uh, 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 uh orangutan boxing boxing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I've got the Marvel. Oh, we don't have any new comic news other than the fact that there aren't any new comics due to the ongoing health crisis. Never be comics again. I don't have them. Uh, I don't have them sitting next to me, so I couldn't quote you rhyme and verse. But uh, I have once again been a comics buying fool, and uh, I got two big old boxes of comics this week because one of them got held up in uh, in transit for for weeks. <laughs> making its way to me because oh, was that the one because you moved and it said yeah. your box is expected and it was like yep. a week past the date <laughs> well they ended up sending it all the way back so it it, it got to Oviedo. we gotta go back i got a status that said uh forwarding to new address three minutes later there was a new status that said returning to sender i'm like well you tried real friggin hard to forward it didn't you so they send it all the way back to texas so then I had to wait for them to receive it, and then when it finally showed up back there, like almost a month later, then I called them up, and uh, I thought for sure they were going to be like, well, you know, we tried to send it, so, you know, send us another five bucks or whatever it was for shipping, but they were nice enough to just turn around and ship it again, so. But anyway, I finally got them. I got them, like, within two days of each other, so I ended up getting the newer order first, which was weird. Uh, and then another order, but uh, lots of good stuff. But the the one thing that uh, that uh, made the whole bundle for me was I finally got my hands on a Superman number 157, which I have wanted uh, since at least 1982 because the main character uh, in the Phantom Zone miniseries was a, a Phantom Zoner named Quexal. And Superman 157 was his very first appearance. Now, I'd read the story before, but I never owned the issue before. And now I finally have it. First appearance at Quex. First and only appearance prior to uh, the Phantom Zone. So it was a nice one to, to fill in the old collection. But, yeah, all kinds of great stuff lately. I'm, I'm on a uh, – I'm having comics with Troll. Yeah, I saw your post. <laughs> I feel like there's snakes all over me, man. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well i uh, just picked up the latest issue well <clears throat> the last issue of tarot which will be on a future show tarot number four so we'll cover that soon coming soon uh, and that was pretty much the only new comic i picked up i haven't picked up any old ones either so what are you reading these days ah uh, tarot <laughs> <laughs> that's about it because that's all that came out uh, Tarot Avengers and Savage Avengers I think in uh, some of the Iron Man stuff the um, uh, oh, oh the Iron Man 2020 I'm just ah. reading just reading the main book I'm not reading all the side books uh, 
they came out with a Force Works 2020 and uh, Machine Man 2020 and uh, Iron Age 2020 and I'm not sure if there's another 20. I'm only getting the Iron Man 2020, which Aaron Stark or Arrow Stark or Arno Stark? Arno. Uh, Arno. Arno. Yeah. Arno is Iron Man 2020, but it's uh, in the Tony Stark canon i guess you could say now he is his brother because tony stark was actually an adopted or it's it's kind of convoluted and uh, we're not going to go into the whole t- t- it's a lot huh. yeah, yeah I, I hadn't heard of that i might have to seek that out myself i always liked iron man 2020 i always thought he was kind of cool it's well, pretty, he was it's like just freaky that we're actually living in that year now. <laughs> he he was the naturally born son of Maria and Howard, and Tony was kind of thrown out there as a duplicate because they were hiding him. One because he was sick, and he was also destined to be this. He was going to save humanity in the future, and it was it's this whole big retcon thing. I was just going to say, this must be a retcon, because I thought yeah. he was supposed to be a descendant of... Right, Tony. he was like his uncle or something, or his distant right, cousin. Right, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's actually his half-brother, kind of, maybe, sort of. Oh, okay. Well, well that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. I remember in the graphic... Well, it was it was not really a graphic novel. It was like a one-shot. Like it was a thick... One-shot, yeah. yeah. It, Tony's in it at the very end uh, as an old, old man. And I want to say, I think you're right. I think he was supposed to be like his uncle or great uncle or something like that. But they do have a, a, the, the kind of like the classic Iron Man 2020 look to the, his outfit. That's cool. With the big, the big gears. Like, like the, yeah, the big gears for the shoulders. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's about all the new stuff I'm looking at right now. Well, I just read something really cool that I'd like to throw out just as a, a recommendation to the listeners. Um, I just read the complete saga because there's a um, uh, a trade out there that collects the entire thing called uh, Swords of Sorrow. And uh, it's uh, I think it was at least 20 books in the whole series. So it was a six issue uh, miniseries. And then there were several offshoot uh both one shots and mini series that's tied into the overall series and what it was was a, it was an event that dynamite comics did where just about all of their female characters were all in this one story where it, it's almost like a crisis on infinite earths kind of story because they're all recruited um, by this mysterious uh, person to all come together from their different Earths, from their different time periods, from their different realities, to all come together and form a, a basically an army uh, to fight this bad guy. And I won't spoil anything other than to say when you find out who both the person putting the team together you know the army together is and but most especially who the bad guy that they're fighting is i thought it was really really cool who but it was um gail simone wrote the the six issue series and then the individual uh minis and one shots are all different people mostly female writers and this Uh is an indie book not tied to marvel or dc continuity Correct. Oh, okay. yeah. So okay. so it's all um, Dynamite Comics characters. So you had the, the three oh, okay. big ones are 
um, Red Sonia, Vampirella, and Dejah Thoris from John Carter, Warlord of Mars. They're the three primary, but then it pulls in like every, I mean, you, you name a female character that, that Dynamite has done since they've started. Um, I, the only one I can think of off the top of my head that wasn't in it was uh, Sarah Connor. But I'm not sure they still have the Terminator license now. But um, just to give you an idea, um, Deja Thoris, uh, Irene Adler, who is the a female character from Sherlock Holmes lore. Mm-hmm. Um, Kato. What's that? She's like Sherlock's equivalent. Yeah, exactly. She's like a female Sherlock Holmes. Exactly. Um, Kato from Green Hornet. And Kato, uh, the newer Kato is a female. It's, it's actually Kato's daughter daughter or granddaughter i forget i think daughter um, i'd rather it be kato from the pink panther though <laughs> <laughs> um the black sparrow lady zorro miss fury lady rawhide panther who was really actually kind of cool um jane from tarzan uh his wife uh jane porter jane his wife jungle girl jennifer blood um and um, tons of other characters um, these kinds of things can can go one of two ways. Usually, nine times out of ten, they go the route of something like Secret Wars 2 or something where they're just a convoluted mess. This is actually really, really good, and it was very well uh, organized and, and choreographed, and, and it was a really good read. If, if I had one criticism of it, I thought the ending was a little... Uh, I was going to say weak, not really weak. It's just a, it felt rushed, like ooh, they, they could have given that one more issue. Like it could have gone one issue longer, um, but it was cool. There there was some genuinely really neat stuff. And there's actually a really cool like Avengers Endgame moment um, toward the end where uh, a character that disappears from the story at one point, and you're not sure what happened to her. Um, suddenly comes in with just this massive army pulled from all o- over time. Uh, so there's like, you know, soldiers and dinosaurs and all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, to beef up the hero army, essentially. And it was cool. I, I thought it was a really good read, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. The um, How the uh, collection, how the trade collection organizes it is you've got the six-issue mini proper is right up front, and then after you've read that, all the one-shots and tie-in miniseries are after. Now, the one-shots in the tie-in miniseries, they kind of wax and wane in um, in quality. Most of them were really good. A couple of them I thought were a little bit weak. Uh, but the very last in the book was the uh, Vampirella and Jennifer Blood uh, four-issue mini. That was really good. Now, I don't know shit about Vampirella. I think this was the very first Vampirella story I'd ever read. And I had read something with Jennifer Blood before. I think it was a Terminator crossover. So I kind of sort of knew who she was, but it was good. I I enjoyed that one a lot. That might have been my favorite one of the... uh, you know, of the one shots in, uh, in crossovers. The, the one I was really looking forward to was the Deja Thoris and Irene Adler one, but that one was, it was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't great. 
Uh, and the Panther and Jane Porter one was just a one shot. That one, that was actually pretty cool too. I, I wish that one had gone longer cause I, I liked Panther. I didn't know anything about her, uh, and found her to be a kind of a, an interesting character as well. So, yeah, but anyway, the, it, it's called Swor- Swords of Sorrow. Uh, if you get a chance to check it out, uh, do so. I thought it was, it was good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's hop into the book. I've right. got the I've got the Marvel, and I am doing Marvel Apes Volume One Number One, published in November of 2008. Uh, the cover we are looking at is uh, done by John Watson. It is basically a apes version, kind of, of the Avengers. We've got Cap as a gorilla, Iron Man as a mandrel, Spider Man as a monkey. Uh, looks like Wolverine as a baboon, I would say. Uh, what is uh, Spider Woman as a chimpanzee? And what is um? I think Luke Cage is a baboon. Luke, Ca- yeah, but I well, yeah. well then what? Maybe maybe. Oh, you know what? I bet you Wolverine's like a howler monkey. Yeah, yeah being James of, Howlett. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 that's horrible. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Synopsize, damn it. Well, I have stolen a synopsis from Marvel Wiki so that we won't be here all night. What? I know. Thank you. Well, the homework. Remember this show. Oh, my God. Anyway, stolen from Wiki. Martin Blank, the Gibbon. Now, Paul, you would be more familiar with the Gibbon than I am as being as much Spider-Man as you've read. He is a Spider-Man, not really villain. He was a villain, but misunderstood villain person, wanted to be a hero. Kind yeah, of he, right. Yeah, he kind of appeared and wanted to be like Spider-Man's sidekick, and Spider-Man kind of was like, "Yeah, no." Uh, and then eventually he was. I think he teamed up. If my memory is correct, he had one issue and kind of Spider-Man just dissed him. And then in the next issue, he teamed up with Scott's most overwhelming favorite villain of all time, Craven the Hunter. Uh, and Craven kind of duped him into teaming up with him and fighting Spider-Man. And then I think, you know, he was kind of a mutant, but then somehow his powers, his Gibbon powers got enhanced. I don't recall how. I think it was possibly Dr. Jonas Harrow who was, you know, kind of, that was his thing. He would kind of experiment on people and, Mm. you know, enhance their powers some ways. Uh, But even, even with enhanced powers, he was still kind of a mort. Uh, and I know he eventually was in one of Scott's favorite issues in Spectacular Spider-Man. That's right. Uh, so it, it, to me, is kind of evidence of the argument of there are no bad characters, just bad writers, because any character can have a good story written about them if the writer cares enough and treats it correctly. Uh, but, I mean, as a general rule, he's not really one of the best characters going. Ah, Well, speaking of writers... Uh, our issue is written by Carl Kessel. Uh, penciler is Ramon Box, also the inker. Am I say? You think I'm saying that right? Box. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. B-A-C-H-S. Box. Box. It's like Box, but with an X, an, an, an X, an S. Anyway, it's colorist. like Box without an X. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, colorist is Javier Mania Guerrero. Letterer is Jared K. Fletcher, and editor is Tom Brennan. Uh, and the synopsis, 
as I began before, goes like this. Martin Blank, the Gibbon, having been restored to his simian appearance, is left with his personal life in shambles. His attempts to side with the heroes are frustrated by his inept by his ineptitude, and even Princess Python, previously a caring and deeply devoted wife, is now fed up with the meek loser that Gibbon has become. Out of boredom and depression, he replies to an ad posted in the Daily Bugle by Fiona Fitzhugh, a spunky and cheery young scientist hoping to study the nature of superpowered individuals. Upon hearing that Gibbon had his power since birth, as opposed to, major- to the majority of mutants who gained their mutation during puberty, Fiona analyzes his aura and hypothesizes that Gibbon may come from another reality in the multiverse. While attempting to contact such a reality, Fiona and the Gibbon are sucked into a portal that takes them to a world populated by intelligent simians. Gibbon manages to help Spider Monkey and the Ape Avengers, simian versions of the... Just just a wait a minute. That's what Spider-Man is. He's a spider monkey. You didn't know that? No, because you said he was. You said he was a monkey, but he's well, yeah, a spider he's, monkey. That, well, he's that a is, spider that monkey. That is an actual breed. Yes, it is. Right. Sorry. Okay. I, I just don't think that was clear when we when you went through it oh, before. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure you you were aware of that. It just I think I said spider now. monkey, but maybe I didn't. I I, I don't know. Um, oh, well, maybe it, I just it, said Spider Man's a monkey. I'm not. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's possible I just missed it when you said it. So I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt you, but it just. The, that realization just dawned on me. <laughs> the Ape Avengers, simian versions of the Avengers, and he helps that he helps them subdue Doc Octavius, and he is inducted into the Ape Avengers. Fiona is sent to ask for Reed Richards' help in returning to Earth six one six. She discovers that in the Marvel Apes reality, the cosmic storm that gave the Fantastic Four their powers also gave a human appearance to Susan Storm. Gibbon is at first excited to become a member of the Ape Avengers, but after witnessing the brutal lynching of Dr. Octopus, <laughs> he questions the Ape Avengers methods. And I actually have read the whole series. And I don't know if you guys have, but I don't really know if I want to spoil it for anybody that would like to read it. Have you guys read the whole thing? I have not. But after uh, after reading this issue, I acquired the rest of the issues of the series and I'm going to go forward with it. So I I guess that kind of (laughs) spoils a little bit of my reaction to it. But uh, it had I'm going to equally spoil it by saying I have no desire to read any other issues. Really? I'm on the okay. other end of the spectrum from you. Well, this this had me rate from, uh, I was going to say page one, but I'm not sure page one gives it away. Whichever page it was where you realize who the hero is. Um, it was I think it was page three, actually, because as soon as it said the name Marty Blank. Now, I'm... I'm usually not all that great with the secret identities of, uh, of Marvel bad guys, but this has always been one of my favorites. Um, I read uh, Spider-Man, uh, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 59 uh, as a kid, uh, bought it off the stands. I think it was the first uh, issue of that series I ever bought and just read it to death. I just loved that issue. And I didn't realize as a kid reading that issue that – uh, that the Gibbon was a Mort, you know, I thought he was just, 
you know, clearly he had a history and everything. And they give you a little bit of that in the story, you know, of who he was and, you know, that he had uh, been disappointed by Spider-Man in the past and all that. Um, but I thought he was cool. I didn't realize he was supposed to be lame or a joke or whatever. And for that reason, I've always really liked th- this character. Now, um, I don't really care for the way he's depicted here. I don't know. There, there was something in the story mentioned about that maybe he had continued to uh, evolve or devolve or something, because I guess now he's a mutant, which I think is kind of stupid. Well, because he used to have a costume. Yeah, Gibbon, and now he has a physical appearance of a Gibbon. Yeah, yeah, he was just kind of simian looking in the beginning, you know, but he wasn't really an ape man. Well, he was who was who was like what was that series like? uh, Oh, actually, I'm thinking of I guess it's like in the Doc Savage series. One of the guys who's with him is I think his name is Monk, and he's kind of like a monkey. Yeah, but but he's a man who's who's just got like some kind of, you know, like like kind of just some throwback traits about him but he's but he's still a regular man and i think that's the way martin blank originally was absolutely uh, and and then they they decided to mutate him into like a monkey man and i think that i, I don't know it's it's part of part of the whole thing i didn't like about this book actually i, I wouldn't mind that so much if i, I mean I, I i like them using him because i like his character and everything um, I even kind of like the way he's written in this. My my biggest problem is the way he's depicted, though, and not even so much that, you know, again, he's he's he looks basically just like a, an ape uh, rather than a man that resembles an ape. But he's just he looks so young. He reminds me of um, I'm not sure which series it was, but in one of the many Planet of the Apes comics, there was like a, a nephew of, well, actually he's from the movies, uh, uh, whatever uh, Zero's nephew's name was. I, I can't remember his name. Off the oh, top. the one when they were doing the, uh, when they came. Mm. No, Lucius, no, no, that's Lucius. Not Lucius. Lucius, yes. That's who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Lucius because he looks really, really young. And Marty Blank wasn't, I mean, he wasn't an old guy, but he wasn't like a teen. I mean, this looks like a teen ape, you know? Well, you know who, who I pictured not while, that, uh, while reading this? And I don't know if it's because of the name Marty. For some reason, I could see a younger uh, Michael J. Fox playing oh, this yeah. role. Yeah. Just to, just the way that they draw him in this and some of the facial features. I don't know if that's what they even with like running the, his hair through his, ha- you know, uh, his hand through his hair. Some of the looks he gives the camera. I could. Def- def- yeah. You know, I didn't put that together. But now that you say it, I can see it. Yeah, I definitely well, you probably can see think it. It, you could picture like from Teen Wolf. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I get that if that's what they're going for and everything. I just wish he looked a bit closer to, you know, to the classic Gibbon. Um, although that may not have worked for this because he's supposed to blend, you know, fairly seamlessly into this ape society and everything. So I get all that. Uh, I just wish he looked older because this this is pretty far removed from the classic Gibbon that that I know. Um, but that said. I, I kind of dug it. I, I could have done without some of the sillier, like Doc Ook, and you know some of the hey. some of the names are kind of stupid. But Iron Iron Mandrill. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. But 
overall, I, I, I think it's an interesting concept. Um, I wish they'd played it a little more straight than it's played here because there's a lot of it that's kind of played for laughs. I think if you did this more of, uh, of a straight-up Planet of the Apes... Um, well, let me tell you, in the second issue... Well, I mean, right at the end of this, it gets pr- pretty dark because the Ape Avengers take Doc, uh, Doc Octopus yeah. down and basically bludgeon him, pretty almost like they're bludgeoning him to death. They're ripping him. They rip his, uh, they, they rip his octopus arms off. Bye-bye. And... Right. Yeah, and Cap just whacks him with the shield, and and the inner circle of the Ape Avengers just be, proceed to pummel the crap out of him as Cap Ape or well, he still calls himself Captain America looks on at Marty, and Marty's just like, oh shit, what have I got myself into? Yeah, that was kind of the hook for me for why I wanted to continue with this because I mean I was intrigued by it and everything but without that ending I probably would have just walked away from this one issue being like well that was fun but I don't need to read any more but that yeah because that up until that it just feels like a like oh yeah this is a silly parody like Captain Carrot or something and you know yeah whatever oh Spider-Ham yeah yeah yeah, that ending, that ending kind of hooked me for, for a couple reasons. Uh, probably the biggest one being is that this is a simian society. And other than the physical appearance of everybody, we didn't really get anything up till that point that was terribly different than our world. You know, there, there was the thing where they were playing like a simian version of basketball where, where there's like a jungle gym mm-hmm. for a court. You know, things like that, you know, there, there's a banana stand instead of a hot, uh, like a hot dog stand, you know, but those are kind of sillier elements or, or, you know, at least like little nods. But then this ending where they do this felt genuine. This felt like something you might see in like Planet of the Apes, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the, the judge, you know, the, the jury of the peers has rendered judgment and they, like apes do, they each take turns just bludgeoning this guy to death. And that was, yeah, the, the look that Marty has at, at the end of this was kind of the look I had like, whoa, okay, now you got my attention. This, this could be interesting. So, yeah. So yeah, it, it kind of, it, it hooked me enough to want to at least continue on, you know, with the, with the next issue and see where it goes. Now, if it, if it, you know, continues down that path, you know, I'll keep going. But if it, if it goes back to being just kind of, silly and you know a a lot of monkey puns then you know i don't know i i don't know that i would continue on but yeah i I won't spoil not what i expected i i thought i thought it'd be straight up silly from from beginning to end i really thought it was going to be like a like spider ham or or something or you know captain Kara, as you say but uh i was i was surprised to find out it was it was more intelligent than i expected it to be (laughs) <laughs> we also got we also got that classic Marvel villain, the Red Ghost and his super apes. Yeah, because they're they're in the opening when Marty decides he because he's in the bank trying to get, cash his rent check or ca- cash a check to cover his rent, and uh, the Red Ghost decides to attack. And before he can do anything, the Avengers come in and just mop the floor up with the Red Ghost. And that and that's when you get the quick re- you know recap of him wanting to be Spider Man's partner. Which is funny because when he goes to the other world, the spider monkey is like, oh, wow, do you want to be my partner? That would be great. <laughs> and uh, This came out in the 
the aftermath of uh, Marvel Zombies being so popular when they were doing all the alternate covers and all of that. Right. It, it, to me, this felt like an absolute 100% cash grab by Marvel Comics to say, oh, if you love the zombies so much, wait till you see the apes. And they did a bunch of ape alternate covers, and, and, and I just was turned off on this thing so quickly. See, I thought it was going to be that too, and, and I have to say that the whole series isn't bad. Well, you, you may yeah. like the series better, but it was that. This was a cash mm. grab. There's no question about it. What was the big ape event that uh, that DC had done? I don't remember. They had yeah, but they had a JL. JL. Well, they had ape? they yeah. had JL ape. Yeah. Well, they were doing JL everything. JL Atlantis. That was uh, that was quite a ways back from this. Oh, though. was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. I was trying to remember which one was first, but now that now that I hit on the name, the JL ape. Yeah, I think that was actually. Uh, I think that was a '90s. That was way on back. I think. So I, you know, by the time they got to the dark ending, they had already lost me. But I'll be honest about it; they kind of lost me before I opened up the book. <laughs> I, you know, it, it just was—it didn't appeal to me at all. And you know, maybe I read it with a closed mind. I'm not going to tell you that I, I was really all that interested in it. But then, as I was reading it, and then like when I saw Doc Ook. Um, <laughs> It was like okay, you know, this this is just too too dopey for me. And and what you didn't you didn't like Gorilla? No. Uh, <laughs> just you know, just to, to to clarify that, it's hard to get too dopey for me. I like dopey. I think <laughs> dopey is amusing. Uh, and yet, I, I I as I was reading this, I was just groaning. It just it's just not my thing. Where the hell are the credits on this? I'm trying to find. Yeah, they were they're embarrassed. like the, the no, it's like the third page. Oh, is it? Uh, it's not the first page. It's the. I thought it was done by Alan Smithy. No, it's not Alan Smithy. It's the second page. <laughs> Marvel I, Apes, I, book I, one. Carl Kessler. Carl. And I happen to like Carl Kessel. I, I think highly of him. Uh, as as a creator and from my interaction with him as a person, seems to be a really good guy. Uh, but I just didn't like this. I kind of snickered that Mr. Fantastic was a baboon. Well, that was the other thing that kind of interested me was the fact of there, there's a little intrigue with uh, with the Invisible Woman because yeah. she is a human. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting as well. So yeah, I'm just I'm curious enough to see where the where the whole thing you know is going to play out or whatever. But were you curious enough to read the official history of the Marvel Apes Universe Part One when Simeon's class? No, I flipped through it. Um, <laughs> I did think that Two Gun Chimp and Rawhide Chimp was kind of that was kind of funny. That was kind of clever. But no, I did not read it. I, I just kind of. Uh, thumb through it. The shot of uh, Cap uh, Ape Cap, and Cap Hitler. Yeah, yeah, the the Captain America as a as a gorilla punching Hitler was pretty damn funny. I, I thought that was awesome. And then now, and then the submariner drowning a Nazi. In a tie-in to something that we covered very recently, do you know who the penciler is on this portion of the of the it comic? Kitson. Barry Kitson, who was the penciler on uh, the the J the 
what was it? Uh, JSA Strange Adventures. I told you the guy was better than his work was yeah. in that. So I, I can see now that it was definitely the inker because this looks good. This looks like good Kitson right here. And I, well, I, I think I, it's, he was, I think he was inking himself. That's probably why, because there's no – it just says art. It doesn't say penciler, inker. It just says art. So I think he did right. both. Yeah. Yeah, this looks good. Yeah, I like this. That's all I got. Paul, you got any 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 more derogatory remarks to uh, to, to That's throw okay, my Bill. choice? His turn's coming. His his turn's coming. Oh <laughs> yeah, it is. Why do you think I'm going to be a big supporter of my book? Just because I picked a book doesn't mean I'm saying it's the greatest book ever. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the advocate for for your book. You can just <laughs> pick one. The book is uh, so, what it so, is. So, well, so you, I you, was, you look I, forward to complaining about it. I, I got no problem with that. I was picking this book. Go, go, ah, I'm just going to ah, – you know what? It's been a long time, so I flipped through this. I don't remember it. Uh, let, let me let me see. Let me rip this up. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, this is – oh, okay. So, all right. So, all right. so now just, just – you, hold on. No, 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 no. You well, said, Paul, do I have anything else? And then you don't well, want to give me a chance to say what I have. Well, I figured you would put it in your rating. No, I'm going to say it now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to wait till I get home. Uh, you are I, home. I, that's actually, that's true. Not only <laughs> did I not care for the concept, but I also, again, I thought it was just overly silly. I thought it was mostly played as a funny animal book, and I just, just had no desire to read that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not even crazy about the artwork. I'm not saying it's bad artwork. Everybody is drawn fine, but it, it's, it's just got that, uh, computerized feel to it with the inking, the coloring and everything. It just, it, it doesn't feel natural to me. I don't know. Look at, look at Princess Python's face when they show her. She looks terrible. I don't like the character model for Marty, although I know, like you said, that they had to do him more Simeon-like so that he could seem like he's from that world. But just, I'm not crazy about the artwork. I'm not crazy about the story. Uh, I guess the cover is supposed to be a takeoff of the New Avengers, number one. Right. Yeah, yeah, one of those. So I'm not going to criticize that as much, but I can't even <laughs> say I looked at that and liked it. So, I don't like this book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now go ahead. Talk about how wonderful it is. Um, I'm going to give the cover a... a hmm. I like the apes. I like apes. I like bananas. <laughs> I, like monkey. I like monkeys. Iron Mandrel. <laughs> Cracks me up. Um, <laughs> Spider Monkey. Uh, I'm gonna give a cover for as as a cover. It's a C plus B minus cover. It's not bad. Maybe they could have had a little more. De- oh well, they, you know they do have a they do have like the Avengers Tower in the background with like a bunch of vines on it. I mean it's a little bit sparse there. So a C plus. Uh, the interior art, mm, it kind of works better once it gets to the ape world. In the real world, it doesn't look quite as believable. Um, I've got no problem with how it flows. I like when they go into like the inner chamber at the end. You got this reddish glow that's kind of ominous before they beat Doc Ook 
half to death or to death, depending on if you read the next issue. Um, so I'm going to give the art a C plus B minus. And the story, yeah, it's got a lot of monkey puns there once you things get going. But I like the turn, like Scott said at the end. I like the turn as to where it goes, and, and I know where the rest of the story ends. So, uh, but I shouldn't grade it on that. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say the story. The story for me gets a a solid B. So it's like a B minus for me for banana. Um. I'll go next. Uh, I do not care for the cover on this one. I, I know what they're going for. And if I saw this on the stands, which I think I did, actually, I would have just been like, oh, God. I mean, honestly, the only reason I read this was because you chose it for the show. <laughs> now, was I pleasantly you know, surprised by what's inside? Yeah, I was. I kind of dug the story. But again, the cover, uh, it, the cover doesn't sell it for me at all. And frankly, um, I'm kind of I'm just going to say I'm a little bit surprised uh, with the choice of characters here and leave it at that because, you know, they, they were really opening themselves up to some some possible uh, flack with with some, some things they some choices they made with this cover. But um, but, yeah, not crazy about the cover. I think on the cover, I'm just going to I'm going to go a, a C. I mean, it, the, the art serviceable and everything. It just it wouldn't do anything for me. Um, interior art, I, I like quite a bit, um, with the exception of Marty. He's just he's just frankly, he's off model. Um, the arts a little cartoonier than I would like for a story like this. I think if they had gone uh for a darker art style, uh, I think it would service the story better, especially when it does turn dark at the end of the stories. But having this very bright, airy, cartoony uh, sort of look to it, um, I, again, if I if you know, like I say, the cover didn't grab me, but if it if I had been intrigued enough to just pick it up off the stand and just thumb through it. I'd have thumbed through three or four pages and been like, okay, this is crap and, and put it right back. I wouldn't have purchased it. And and that would have been a shame because I would have missed out on, you know, a, a story that I thought was, was pretty decent. So uh, art wise, I mean, it's, it's perfectly serviceable and everything. It just, I don't think it fits the, the tone of the story. Um, so for that, I'm going to say, uh, I'll say a C plus on the art, which I know seems a little harsh. Um, and then story, uh, I, I think you summed it up really good, Bill. You know, you know, you, you kind of have to turn a blind eye to all the stupid puns and, and all of that. Uh, at the end of the day, I thought the story was intriguing. I mean, this is I, I know what what Paul's saying. And I, I that kind of does tickle my brain that this was, you know, in that same era as uh, as the Marvel zombies and that this probably is. You know, somebody probably dreamed this idea up as a cash grab, but I think Carl Kessel, uh, I think he elevates it beyond just that obvious, like, what else, you know, zombies are big, or what else we got type of type of mentality and, and bring something to it. I mean, this, I don't see this so much as Marvel zombies with apes as I see this as Marvel Comics goes to the planet of the apes. And I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan. So on that level, it kind of sort of works for me. Um, I just, 
I, I really could have lived without all the stupid monkey puns throughout the whole thing. That that was the that was the thing that honestly brought it down the most for me. That and the kind of cartoony art style. Uh, so story wise, um, honestly, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I think I'm gonna go a B on the story. I was gonna say A minus. I don't know that it's quite that high. I'm gonna say a B because there, there's there's some irritating things with all the puns and some of the silliness and everything, but. Uh, uh, you know, overall, it, it might take a jump up depending on where they go. You know, in issues beyond all of this. Um, so I, I'm just judging it based, you know, strictly on that the first, you know, the primary story in the book. So overall grade for it, um, I'm going to say a, I'm gonna say a B minus overall. I, I I thought it was it was interesting. I'm you know I I didn't outright hate it, which is what I expected to do. So there you go. All right, Paul. Dr. No. Yep, I am Dr. No on this book. Uh, I don't like the cover. <laughs> you know, I can just, just go through this. I don't like the cover. I'm giving it this grade. I don't like the art. I'm giving it this grade. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the cover. I don't like what it's going for. I understand the, the theory of, you know, that, that and, and part of it is probably due to the fact that they did a lot of alternate ape covers this month. Uh, and I just, I, it just irks me. It really does bother me. But just trying to look at this one in and of itself, uh, I hadn't even thought of what you were saying about this cover may be troublesome in some ways of the choices they yeah. made. And I'm not going to go into it at all, but you know, you pointed that out and it's like, yeah, I could see people having a problem with that. Uh, and I can't even say that I, that they're necessarily wrong. Um, I, I don't even. I'm not even crazy about the way it's laid out. The, the, the uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I just don't care for it. Uh, and much like the interior, to me, it feels too computerized. Um, I'm gonna say a C minus on the cover. The interior art, I think, you you hit the nail on the head, Scott. For my problem, that it's just too cartoony. It's not just the renderings, it's the choices and how they were done. Um, so that's more a problem with stylistic, that it just doesn't fall into the style that I want to read. And I just remember so many 90s books that were meant not so much to be, the books weren't meant to be cartoony, but the art was cartoony like this. And I, those are the ones in the 90s that I really generally find that I dislike. Um, so that that a lot of that came back to me with this one. So I am just not a fan of this interior art, but I, I don't want to be overly harsh on it because it's more a choice than it is to say that it's badly drawn. It's not badly drawn. Uh, it's just not the it's not what I the way I would have liked for it to have been drawn. Uh, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a C plus on the interior art, and that is kind of, that's kind of trying to be objective about it, because if I was being subjective, I'd probably go to a C minus. Uh, and the story, uh, I just, the puns really kill me. They just, to me, you know, it's, it's like you couldn't decide where you wanted to be in this thing. You're throwing in stupid puns, then, but then you have the dark ending. Um, I, 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 it really just, to me, it really did feel like a cash grab overall 
it, it I understand that they that the actual creators may have been uh, genuine in their approach to it, but it feels like Marvel gave them their this assignment is ooh people like monkeys draw this book. Uh, I right. just and I I don't feel it's especially well done. I think uh, you know. I picked it up. I expected to not like it. I read it, and I continued to feel that way. It's not, nothing about the way it was written or drawn changed my mind. I have no desire to read issue two. So I'm going to give the story a D because I just didn't like it at all. And I'm going to give the book a C-. minus. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr. No is in the house. Well, that wasn't that bad. Well, huh. uh, you know, I, that's I, about I, what I thought I was going to give it until I read it, you know, or maybe lower. <laughs> and that's what I thought I was going to give it before I read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are we doing next? Uh, I you. guess you could do your book, Scott. Do, oh, your, little, do your little book. You've been oh. waiting so, so, so long. <laughs> so for my book, we are going to uh, 1979 DC Comics. This is Detective. Comics yeah, number four. That's how excited four. the little kid is. <laughs> this is the... Shut up! This is the August August slash September 1979 cover dated issue. It was on sale uh, May 10th, 1979. I'm sorry, to... we're out of time. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to get uh, back next month for this book. <laughs> <laughs> cover on this one is by Dick Giordano, depicting Batman Kung Fu fighting. Um, it's a serviceable cover, I guess. Well, we'll talk more about that later. Original it, cover price. It on looks like he's like, you know, in a, he's in a chorus line. One <laughs> kick singular <laughs> sensation. Uh, cover on this original cover price on this was a whopping dollar. Um, and there's a reason for that. So a little bit of history lesson here. So in October of the prior year, 1978, Batman Family, which was an anthology book and in its latter days, one of uh, DC's proudly hyped dollar comics, uh, family of titles, folded with issue number 20, which left a number of ongoing features that ran in Batman Family homeless. So now Wait. it's... Oh, you mean... Oh, I thought you were saying Batman Family Homeless was the name of the book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So it's pretty incredible to think about today, and uh, I, I'm sure that you know for anybody that didn't grow up during that era, that especially for anybody that grew up a Batman fan uh, post 1989, it's pretty amazing to think of a time before Batman was this huge thing that he is now. But back during uh, this time, Detective Comics, which is the primary Batman title was published on just a bi-monthly schedule, meaning that it was only published every other month. Uh, so starting with issue 481 in December of 78, DC put those homeless strips from Batman Family into Detective Comics. They beefed up the page count to 64 pages, the same that Batman Family had, and uh, Detective became a dollar comic, effectively inheriting the features that had been displaced when Batman Family folded. This sort of thing uh, had happened in other titles, too, like uh, I know Tarzan Family It happened with that. Uh, also, Superman Family uh, absorbing all the displaced Superman supporting character strips like Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Supergirl, 
uh, following the DC implosion. So that's kind of the story of why this book is a dollar. Anyway, we're just looking at the first story in the book, the Batman feature. Uh, It is written by one of the all-time great Bat scribes, Denny O'Neill. Art by the late, great, and at least for me, sorely, sorely missed Don Newton. Uh, inks by Dan Adkins, letterer is Ben Oda, colorist Adrian Roy, and it was edited by Paul Levitz. Stories entitled The Vengeance Vow. Our story opens to a nicely rendered dark and splash page of Batman sneaking up on a thug and using some sort of Vulcan neck pinch uh, maneuver to render him unconscious. The Batman is skulking around behind the scenes of Kathy Kane's circus after uh, having received an anonymous tip that the League of Assassins may be up to no good there. Now, if the name Kathy Kane seems familiar, it's because she was the Silver Age superheroine Batwoman. And if that name is unfamiliar to you, dear listener, never fear, as there will be a history lesson at the end of the synopsis, so stay tuned. Our scene switches to said heroine as she is uh, being hassled by some toughs. And it should be noted here that she's in her civvy. She is not in her bat costume. Uh, Despite her age, Kathy is doing a fair job of holding her own while being outnumbered four to one. But while she performs a flying double kick, trademark James Tiberius Kirk, on one goon, she is being sized up for dagger practice by another. The timely intervention of the Batman saves her from perforation, and the two share a nice moment together. By the way, I do find it odd, though it doesn't necessarily bother me per se, I just find it odd that she isn't depicted as an older woman. Uh, She looks to be about the same age as Bruce or any other of the the women who would pass in and out of the title as his lady friends. So I just thought that was kind of odd, because by this point, she was supposed to be uh, an older lady. Uh, Anyway... Uh, They are then joined by the Bronze Tiger, who orders Batman to stand aside as he has come for the woman. You'll have to get past me first, says Batman, and the Bronze Tiger wastes no time doing precisely that with a quote-unquote sudden, stunning kick. Batman is down, and as he fades into unconsciousness, the last thing he sees is the rise and fall of a shining steel blade, and the last thing he hears is Kathy's cry. Sometime later, Batman recovers and staggers outside following a trail of blood where, as he feared, he finds Kathy Kane dead, clutching the costume she once wore as the Batwoman. Why, he asks rhetorically, but is answered anyway by a we-will-never-know detective muttered by none other than Ross Agul. Turns out he isn't, uh, he isn't responsible, so he says, uh, for killing Kane, but Roz was the one who dropped the tip to Batman that brought him here. He knew the League was out to get her because the sensei ordered it. And the sensei ordered it because Roz told him that Kathy was some sort of threat. So how is Roz not responsible for her death again? We'll come back to that. After loading up on antitoxin pills back in his Batcave before heading out on the trail of the car the killers used, Batman arrives at the parking garage entrance to the secret bad guy lair where he is beset by both killer Dobermans and a nunchucks-wielding reluctant henchman, both of which he quickly dispatches. Then it's time for the boss battle. 
by the sensei's command and seriously reminded me of the old coin-op karate champ video game, Batman faces the bronze tiger again. And I just got to say, you know, damn, do I miss this iteration of Batman, the Batman who was not this master genius fighter tactician that not only had, you know, had thought everything out 12 steps ahead of everybody else, uh, but he could defeat anyone from Superman to Galactus in combat. I, I, I've never cared for that iteration of Batman. There's something just so much more exciting and tension fraught about seeing him getting his ass kicked by a superior martial artist and struggling not only to keep up, but to somehow emerge victorious. Uh, the undefeatable Batman just doesn't hold any allure for me at all. I, I like how he's depicted in this one. Anyway, as Batman struggles, the henchman from earlier wakes up and tries to redeem himself in the sensei's eyes by shooting Batman with a poison dart from a blowgun. Angered, the sensei dispatches him with a hurled knife to the chest. Batman pops a Chekhov's antitoxin pill, and the bronze tiger, horrified that the sensei, sensei orders his uh, other disciples to kill the downed crime fighter while he's helpless, finds himself defending the Batman whom he sees as having fought with honor. While he's too weak to join in the fight, Batman tries to help by plunging the room into darkness. When the lights are restored, the two men who murdered Kane, more on that in a moment, are on the floor and everyone else is gone. Finding the tiger's mask and Kathy's cowl, Batman takes it to mean that maybe Kathy's been avenged. Or maybe not. So, uh, some notes on this one. Um, again, Dick Giordano was, uh, did the cover, um, and the art for the cover. Um, I just got to say, I much prefer Dick Giordano as an inker and an editor. Um, there's nothing wrong with his art per se. I just, I've always found it to be stiff and workmanlike. Um, I love his inks. But I just I've never thought much of Dick Giordano, the uh, the penciler. Uh, on the other hand, flip side of the coin. God, do I, I love Don Newton. I miss this guy so much. Uh, Don Newton. Um, I just I love his Batman, uh, his Batman and uh, his Captain Marvel. He was just born to draw Captain Marvel. I love his Captain Marvel stuff. I've actually been making my way through that right now in um, in World's Finest. But uh I, I love Newton Batman, and um, it's funny because I, I thought that I had um, every issue of Newton Batman, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. And so Kathy Kane, uh, for those that are wondering, she was an on-again, off-again sidekick slash love interest slash pain in the ass for Batman in the Silver Age of comics. Uh, she dropped out of sight after Detective Comics 325 in 1964 and wouldn't be seen again until teaming up with the Barbara Gordon version of Batgirl in Batman Family number 10 13 years later. So she had a 13-year hiatus. Uh, she became a fairly regular reappearing supporting character in Batman Family up until issue 17 and was re uh, repeatedly referred to as getting too old for this shit, essentially. Although, uh, never again, never really drawn that way. Um, her last appearance in costume as Batwoman occurred a year before this story in the last two issues of uh, Freedom Fighters, which was issues 14 and 15. Um, editor uh, Denny O'Neill, who actually wrote this story, 
stated in an interview, uh, we already had Batgirl, so we didn't need Batwoman, which I thought was kind of a, a callous way to sum up why they uh, why they just unceremon- unceremoniously did her in. Um, now, referring back to the fight here, uh, Batman and uh, and the Bronze Tiger, you know, I can only imagine what younger Batman fans will think of this particular story. Uh, but I, I, again, I just got to say, I love. Batman getting bested by the bronze tiger in this story. Um, particularly I, I like it after he made that little, you know, you'll have to get through me first comment because it shows his arrogance, his overconfidence. And uh, there's, there's just something about that. It's, it's almost Peter Parker esque in a way that, you know, he, he has this overconfidence and then, uh, not only does he get bested, but it costs Kathy her life. Um, the only problem I have with that in this story is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of consequence. I think this, this story missed a, a real opportunity to have Batman um, really upset and, and distraught over that. You know, that not only, again, did he get bested, but it, it costs her her life. And there's there's strangely, there's no. There's nothing. I mean, he doesn't even seem particularly upset. I mean, he he goes out to avenge her murder, but he does it pretty much the same way he would do it for for anybody. Uh, He doesn't seem, you know, there's not any moments in the in the dialogue or in his you know in internal thoughts or anything of him being particularly upset about who it was that was murdered. And that's I just find that kind of odd. But she's not really dead, right? She is dead, yes. Really? Yeah. What was Rachel? I figured maybe Rachel Gould was going to take her body and like bring her back for some reason to use against nope. Batman, but she's really dead, huh? She is dead, yeah. Oh, uh, this sucks. is, yeah, it, it I is. Heard the it's a very. Singing about it. I'm sorry. I heard the Munchkin singing. She's really, <laughs> really, really dead. <laughs> Katie Keen is killed. But this is, uh, you know, it's a very ignominious death for uh, for Batwoman. Um, so the whole reason that uh, that I'm covering this issue was uh, I was reading something recently that mentioned this story. And I, I can't remember you know, what it was or where it was. It's probably issue of Back Issue magazine or something. I can't remember. But something mentioned this story. And uh, I, I didn't think anything of not remembering it because, you know, I've, I've read thousands upon thousands of comic books. I just, I didn't remember the story and I thought, well, surely I must already own it uh, because I'm a huge Don Newton Batman fan. And, and this issue is right in that sweet spot of when my solid run of detective comics started. So, you know, you can imagine my surprise when I went to flip through my boxes and I didn't have this issue. And, uh, and I learned that I actually had some holes in my, uh, in my run of detective, which were Don Newton issues. So I've been, you know, furiously filling those, you know, plugging those holes as I can. And I happened to get this issue. I, I scored it fairly cheap. So this was my first time reading the story. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was really stunned, not so much by the story itself, but just, you know, that she, I mean, I wouldn't say Batwoman was a huge character, but I mean, you know, she was, uh, you know, at, at one time, you know, in the in the Silver Age, she was a fairly big part of the Batman mythos. Now, by this by this point, her star had faded, you know, but still, I mean, to just very 
unceremoniously do her in and there's nothing. She doesn't get a funeral. She she's not mourned. Now, I haven't gone on to future issues, but I don't think there's anything beyond this point. I don't remember Kathy Kane getting even so much as a mention until years later in the um, in the post-crisis world where um, I don't think it was Kingdom Come. I think it was the sequel or one of the spinoffs or something. But there's a moment where Batman's going through. It's like a museum or something. And he sees, um, I think it's a statue of her or, or a wraith of her, something like that. And, and he suddenly remembers her. Uh, and it was weird because that was post-crisis continuity where she had been retconned away. But that story was kind of playing fast and loose with all that, with the hyper time and all that bullshit anyway. And I remember that being kind of a, a thing that fans latched onto when he actually recognized her uh, in that story. Um, but the only other thing I've got on this one is uh, I didn't make it part of my synopsis, but I really liked when Batman confronts uh, the sensei and just before the fight uh, with the bronze, you know, the rematch with the bronze tiger, he uses uh, Kathy's mask as um, what do you call it? Like throwing down the gauntlet. I thought that was kind of a neat touch. And I really like that panel too, where it's, it's very, um, it's, it's very uh, reminiscent of like, Neil Adams or Jim Aparo, although I don't normally think of Newton's style as really aping either one of those guys. He kind of has his own unique style, but I really like that panel. But uh, that's pretty much all I got on this story. I'm very curious what you guys thought of it. I thought it was a good read. I enjoyed reading it. I, I think you hit on a lot of the points about it. Uh, and, and primary among those is the fact that I agree with you. I prefer a fallible Batman, a Batman who's going to do really, really well in what he does, but is, you know, or rather a Batman who's really good at everything, but he's not the best at everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, that's what I want. I want, I want a Batman who's, who's got some ability, probably above average ability in almost any field you could mention. But, if he's fighting the guy who's the best at it, he's not going to win. Right. Unless, you know, he's, he's fighting Bronze Tiger. Bronze Tiger is better at that fighting style than him. But if he then uses a different style, maybe he can overcome the Bronze Tiger because he's now expanding it. But like you said, <clears throat> I don't like the Batman who's prepared for every possible thing and has thought everything out five steps ahead. They turn him into into the DC version of the Mad Thinker, only his plans actually work out for him. Unlike the <laughs> Mad Thinker, who, who every time he says, oh, there's a 99.9% .9 chance this was going to go my way, it's always that .01 chance that comes through. Right. Uh, you know, for Batman, it's always the way he calculated it, the way a lot of these people write him. And I, I feel that there's a certain element of lazy writing there that, you know, oh, Batman's just on top of everything. I think it's it's more challenging to write a story where he didn't think of it. He's surprised by some things, and he has to now, uh, you know, regroup and figure out a way to get by. Uh, I think the artwork in the book is really solid. Uh, there's points where it, it 
it feels almost just a little bit more old school than 79. Like it almost feels like it should be maybe 10 years earlier at some points. One thing I'm just not a fan of, and it has nothing to do with Don Newton because unless he created the character, I don't like the Bronze Tiger's costume and mask. It almost looks like he's a mutated guy. Like Talkie Tawny? Yes. I, yeah, I, would rather, you know I would rather the mask looked a little bit more like a mask. It's like you can see you his face underneath it. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, you know, knowing this guy, being familiar with this guy, I never even stopped to think about that. But, yeah, if this was your first exposure to him, um, well, actually, it does say here the masked figure. So it is saying that he wears a mask. But still, if you're if you weren't paying attention to the narration boxes necessarily, it would be really easy to miss that and think that this guy is literally a human tiger, which is just silly. And I I found it both kind of laughable, but also kind of cool at the same time that he can't possibly see worth a shit in that mask. (laughs) Yet he's still best Batman, which I thought was interesting. But um, anyway, I think it speaks volumes that when this guy becomes a regular member of um, Suicide Squad, they, they doff the mask. They got rid of the mask pretty quick. Well, you know, because if he was part tiger, Batman could throw some catnip in his face. <laughs> but that, that's that's like one of you know one of the very few criticisms I have though of the story. I, I I think it's it's pretty good. I almost feel I like the fact that Ra's al Ghul almost feels like an afterthought in the story. Like we, we're going to throw him in there, and then we're going to kind of but but you don't even need him there for this to be a good story, right? I, I kind of like that he's underplayed it a little bit. Uh, it it makes you feel like Batman, there's just more going on in the background than you even realize, you know? I think Batman's um, anger with him is underplayed, though. I think that once he realizes that, that Kathy is dead because of Roz's machinations, I think he should be a little more incensed than he is. He's pissed. But he he doesn't like lay hands on him. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't really go. He just kind of yells at him. He's he's indignant. But that's about it. He. Roz. He seems, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you and make I, me so mad! I'm gonna pinch you. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, uh, this this book is so much more in my wheelhouse than our last book. <laughs> what? Yes, I can't. Uh, I can't see Ross Agul in a story now and not hear David Warner. David Warner. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I love David Warner. So well, I love when the voices are so perfectly suited that that does stay with you. But whereas yep. Batman, I know. I know certain people like, they can only hear Kevin Conroy, but it depends. Sometimes I hear Adam West. Oh God. Well, <laughs> well, sometimes I hear the Batman from the Super Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So Batman, you know, I, I, Kevin Conroy, I think, did the voice better than anyone else ever did. Uh, so I'm not debating that. But he's just not the only voice I ever hear. You guys saw the I don't remember if we talked about it. You guys saw the crisis crossover. On, I, You know, I saw bits and pieces of it. I have still haven't sat and watched the whole thing. Oh, so you haven't seen when Kevin Conroy does the live action Bruce Wayne? No, I missed. I haven't seen that yet. OK, never mind. 
Keep going. Look at how old Batman is supposed to be when he, when he debuts. Like when he when he actually dons the costume for the first time. I wonder how old he's supposed to be. I say he's in his mid twenties. See, that's what I'm thinking too. Because he he would have to grow up, go off, learn his training, learn his craft. Go, I have no justification to, for this, but I always land on the age 28 as when he first comes out as Batman. So I'm thinking... So Maybe it's because that's the age I also have Superman coming, you know, figure eight, 20, 18, and then he spends... Actually, 30 is is, the, is Superman's age, right? When he first appears to the public? 20, 20, 29, yeah. 29? Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I pictured in the same kind of age group. So at what age do do sports figures that are in really rigorous sports like say football uh what what age do they typically retire at well it depends on the position they play too i mean i mean you look at tom brady he's in his 40s um whereas somebody that's more like a defensive offensive lineman or a running back that gets the shit kicked out of him a lot he may retire in his 30s. Well, think think about it this way. I remember reading an article years ago, and I'm going to compare that to the current thing, because you, you mentioned Tom Brady. Tom Brady has been in the league, I think, just about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Okay? I remember reading years ago the average lifespan of a, an NFL player in the league is three years. But So, that, so you're going to have a great variation, but you're also going to have guys who come into the league – and don't really make it, so they play for six months and they're gone. So you, you know you got to kind of level that all off. But just you know, as a sports fan, I can tell you that they say uh, you reach your physical prime in between 27 and 30 years old, and then once you hit 30, you actually do start to you know to lose a little bit. So I'm just I'm I'm trying to. I'm thinking about this from a real world, you know, more realistic perspective, you know, basically trying to beef up my argument for making Batman well-trained, but not the best at everything and, you know, not, you know, infallible. So if you, if you think that, you know, I think realistically, especially in you know in this era of comics, realistically, Bruce probably couldn't have really begun the bulk of his training until he was 18 and you know legally able to start globe hopping, right? And there's a lot of disciplines he wanted to to have under his belt in order to prepare himself for you know his crime fighting career so not just martial arts but you know being a good detective and you know all the physical stuff you know the gymnastics and all that chemistry and uh uh you know some of them have him studying with like escape artists and stuff you know learning you know like houdini's bag of tricks essentially that sort of thing so all these different disciplines that's a lot of ground to cover in 10 years and so, again, I think that really lends into, you know, that he's well-rounded, he's well-trained, and he, he's good at a number of different disciplines. 
But in order for him to be the best at any one of those, I would think would would easily have to take up the you know the bulk of that ten years and not give him enough time to do all the other disciplines that he would have to do. So that's why you know I really like and easily forgive him being overconfident, <clears throat> pardon me, and getting bested here by the bronze tiger who's probably a guy that's put his lifetime into his training as opposed to you know a, a few years at most which is w- what batman you know would would realistically have to have is you know maybe a few years you know training with some you know martial artist somewhere before he would have to move on to one of the other disciplines he wanted to get under his belt i don't know what do you think of that i think i agree with you as, as a thesis, I agree with you. Uh, but I also would say, you know, that from the, par- from the moment his parents were killed, he became single-minded to become the best ever. So I don't think he just had 10 years of training. I think he had 17 or 18 years of training. Uh, and I do think he, again, I think he, he had enough training that he was well above average at every discipline he tried to learn. I just don't think he was the best. And if he was facing off against somebody who was the best, I think he would find himself somewhat lacking, except for the fact that he has all these multiple disciplines and might be able to expand that way. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm trying to think what's the earliest I've ever seen in any of the many retellings of his origin story. You know, the youngest I've ever seen him like going off, you know, I mean, because there's there's stories where it shows him very young and he's like lifting weights or, you know, reading or maybe even looking in a microscope or something. But as far as like the martial artist side of it, it's always, you know, when he's old enough, you know, to to actually be able to leave the country, essentially. And I almost wonder if, if you're going to go with this. Uh, again, I don't find it interesting myself, but if you are going to go with this, you know, superior fighter or possibly even the, the world's greatest martial artist, Batman, you know, version of Batman, then I think you'd actually have to have him pretty much, you know, going straight to a monastery right? you know, going straight from the funeral to, you know, the monastery and, and doing this lifetime of training in order to make that even believable. But I've never seen a version like that. Um, it's usually where, you know, he comes back, you know, and it's, and it's kind of vague about, you know, he's spent a number of years out of the country or what, and he's still a relatively young man, you know, that's, that's coming back from overseas or, you know, whatever, and, and begins his career as Batman. Because even stuff like uh, like Year One that I'm not the biggest fan of, but uh, even books like that, I don't. I, I got the impression he's supposed to be even you know considerably younger than than the 29 that you know I would typically, as you say, you know, I would typically place him right around that age as well. And I think Batman the animated series had him much younger as well because I remember uh, Andrea Beaumont's comment about him being the boy Bill. So I don't know. It's it's fun to think about anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we ready for grades on this? Sure. 
All right. So flipping back to the cover here. Um, I, you know, now I don't mean to be, you know, disrespectful or speak ill of the dead. I, I do genuinely really like Dick Giordano um, as an inker, uh, and I think he was a hell of an editor. Uh, but again, I, I just don't think much of his art style when he's the primary artist. I, I think the covers just, frankly, I think it's a, it's kind of bland and, and stiff. Um, so I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna say a C plus on the cover. It's it's not much. It sells itself because it's Batman, but you know. As standalone art, it's yeah, it's it's not any better than your standard issue of uh, Dick Dragon Kung Fu Master or whatever the hell the guy's name was. Was it Richard Dragon? Uh, Richard Dragon, yeah. Dick oh, Dragon. Honeywell's got me calling him Dick Dragon just because it has fun connotations. Um, interior art, God, I love it. Um, Don Newton, I mean, his Batman for me is right up there with, uh, with Aparo and, uh, and Neil Adams. He's, he's right in that tier. Uh, I love his stuff and I, I miss this guy so much. I mean, he was, he was just a hell of an artist that was just taken way too soon. Um, honestly, art wise, I, I, there's not a single page or panel that I, I don't like. There's nothing that looks overly wonky or anything. I, I really like the art in this. Um, I think I'm going to give it a straight up A. It's it's damn close to an A+. Plus. I, I think uh, you know there's a, a little bit more refinement in a couple areas, but overall I, I really like it. And you know, Now that I'm flipping back through it again, I get a serious uh, Bernie Wrightson vibe off of a lot of it as well. I think his, his style is very conducive to, uh, to Wrightson. I wonder if they ever work together. Um, and then story-wise, it's a good story. I wouldn't say it's a great story because it does have some plot holes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mentioned my synopsis, something that I said I'd come back to and then I totally forgot. At the end of the story... Um, Batman uh, recovers and he puts the lights back on. Everybody's gone except those two guys on the floor. And Batman says the lights are back on. Those two killers are the ones who murdered Kathy. How does he know that? He doesn't know that. He can't possibly know that because he, knows he was he's passing. The greatest detective ever. Uh, but he can't know that because he was passing out or had passed out when she was actually being knifed. Now they were they were there, but so was the bronze tiger. So how does he know that the tiger's not part of those responsible for for killing her? Uh, he's at the very least he's an accessory to murder. So I just thought that that was kind of a, a, a leap in logic there. Uh, and there's a couple other just kind of wonky bits. Um, probably the biggest one again being Ras Agul. Um, not only is Batman not more pissed with him than I feel like he needs to be, but then also uh, one of the very first things Roz says is, well, I'm not responsible. And then he turns around and says, well, I'm the one that tipped off the sensei. Well, that makes you responsible, dude. <laughs> She's dead because you told the sensei that she was a threat to him and he murdered her. How, how is that? How are you not responsible for that? So did I say that's, that? That's not, that's not bad writing though. That's, that's Ra's al Ghul being a dick. <laughs> trying to, trying to claim he's not responsible. It doesn't mean that, that the writer believes he's not responsible. 
but but Batman shouldn't accept that. I, I see where you're going. I I can't say as I agree with you. I I I see where you're going, and I I think that could maybe be a no prize. But in this particular instance, I I don't I don't get the feeling that's where O'Neill's going with this. I think. I think it, there's some wonkiness in the dialogue. Like O'Neill didn't want him to be di- directly responsible, so he, you know, he says something. Well, I'm not the one that that set, you know, that that called for her murder. Well, by tipping the, by saying what he said to the sensei, which the only reason he tells the sensei that is he wanted Batman to take the sensei out because the sensei was a rival. Arrival in the League of Assassins. Exactly. He he wants control of the League, so he wanted Batman to take the Sensei out. And he had Batman take the Sensei out because he's trying to avenge Kathy Kane's murder. So, yes, again, Ra's al Ghul is directly responsible for her murder. He may not have held the knife. He may not own the men that, that ultimately you know did the deed, but... He set this whole thing in motion. He is directly responsible for her death. I'm sorry. So, um, but other than that, I, I do. I really enjoy the story. I like it a lot. And uh, and again, I, I like this version of Batman so much better. He's he's just so much more interesting to me when, uh, you know, he. He, he's almost Indiana Jones like in a lot of ways. You know, he's he's prepared. He's he's a good fighter. He's very smart, but he's got to really use uh, his wits, his ingenuity and a fair amount of luck to make his way through his adventures without dying. And I just find that just so much more fun and, and interesting than, you know, he had it all planned out way in advance and he's got every tool and gadget he, he could ever need. And he's armored and, you know, the modern Batman wouldn't sweat two Dobermans at all. This Batman, I mean, he could be eaten alive by these dogs. <laughs> and I don't know. There's just something about that, you know, that he's just a well-trained guy in a skin tight, bodysuit and a cape doing the best he can and i i don't know i just I, this is so my batman I, I i love this stuff i really really love this stuff so um anyway uh great for the story uh i'm gonna say a b minus just because of a little bit of the wonkiness with it um but an overall grade on this one i i think i'm gonna give the book an overall grade of uh of an a minus because i i dug the hell out of it and uh Again, uh, you know, to the listeners, if you're not familiar with uh, with Don Newton's Batman, uh, you, you need to check it out. You'll love it. It's it's great, great stuff. All right. So okay. the cover, uh, I don't really like the cover. I got to say, I don't, I don't like the choices they made as far as the angle that Batman is shown from. I don't like the fact that he's kicking Thunderbird from the X-Men. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I can't blame the artist or Giordano for the fact that they uh, made him, you know, make his cover a small portion so that they could throw all these, you know, all these, all this, uh, all this lettering all on the side. Uh, but it makes it too busy. 
except for the fact that it's a Dalek comic and I just love Dalek comics, I, yep. I wouldn't really necessarily see this and think, oh, this is one I need. Um, the interior art, I think it's really solid. I don't think it quite gets up to the A category for me. I think it's a solid B, uh, maybe a B plus even. Uh, and the story, I kind of found the story pretty entertaining. Uh, it didn't, the, the whole Ra's al Ghul thing didn't bother me at all. Um, I'm going to say the same on this, on the story, a B bordering on a B plus, And that's where I'm going to put this book. Despite despite the fact that I was not as high on the cover. <laughs> um, so the Bronze Tiger, I don't remember his backstory, but it's now at the end of page of this story, of page nine. Um, nine. Nine. But it's <laughs> actually page eleven of the book. Eleven. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> the sensei is talking to one of the other henchmen about the Bronze Tiger. And at the caption in the bottom says, in the event that anyone has been, because you said something about Richard Dragon, says, in the event anyone has been wondering whatever happened to Ben Turner, partner and friend of Richard Dragon, Kung Fu fighter, now you know. And he had just been speaking about how the Bronze Tiger is deeply conditioned not to take life, and that, but his memory is gone, his conditioning persists. So this, I guess, was Richard Dragon's friend? Uh, I can look that up, but I I think so. I I didn't I couldn't remember his real name. About the only thing I can so really he's not remember really, about. So he's not really a bad guy. He's just kind right. of brain, brainwashed. I, I guess he somehow or other he winds up in John Ostrander's Suicide Squad, mm. and I remember. In that, and I just looked this up a minute ago to confirm. Um, in that one, right from the very first issue, he does not wear the mask. He wears the same outfit minus the mask. Um, and he was uh, he was a black guy. He always reminded me if you if you know um, Die Hard Two. Um, okay. There's the black guy in that that's part of uh, the Colonel's. Uh, League of Henchmen in that he, he's the the guy with like the military like the really close crop military cut. He went on to be on one of those medical shows. That's the that's the guy I always think would have made like the perfect bronze tiger if well, they had done like a Suicide Squad movie like you know twenty years ago. Well, bronze he, tiger was in Arrow, and if I remember correctly, it was Michael Dial White that played Spawn. Um, he often plays you, you, you would recognize it. You'd recognize his voice and you recognize his face as soon as you see him. I want to try to think of what else he was in real quick. I'm looking him up, but I know he played. He does, he does look Tiger. familiar, but I don't know what I know him from, but yeah, he does. Oh, spawn. Okay. Spawn. I got it. Yeah. 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 He was spawned before. Well, he was spawned after he got all, you know, effed up with, with everything, but he was, but yeah, he was in Ben Ben Turner is Bronze Tiger's real name, so yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, he was in Universal Soldier. He was in Spawn. He was in trying to kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah, he's been in all kinds of things. Thought he was in something else that was a little bit more high. All I know is that somebody needs to get the Sensei an Emery board, like, stat. 
Yep, he was Ben Turner, Bronze Tiger. Ten episodes of Arrow, actually. There was how a whole. Do you, how do you wipe your ass with fingernails like that? Very carefully. <laughs> That's why he has like minions to do it. He has minions to do it for him. <laughs> oh, that better be a high paying gig right there. <laughs> uh, all right, so my so my grades. Uh, yeah, I made a joke at the cover that Batman's doing a high kick. But, uh, you know, it's an action kick. It can be done. He's, like, getting a little air off of that other guy's neck so he can kick the other guy in the face. Um, Does the other guy look like the Enchantress? Which one? The one he's pushing down to the ground? Yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, they got that same color outfit. Yeah, minus the witch hat. Yeah, She's trying to cast a spell. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And the Bronze Tiger just looks like he's like, ooh, look at that kick. Ooh. Um, yeah, I kind of miss the covers that had all the words and stuff about each story in it. <laughs> Even though it does take a little away a little bit from the cover. Um, I'll give the cover a... Ooh, yeah, I'll give it a C. Uh, the interior art. I'm, I know I've seen Don Newton before, but I'm not that familiar with them um i find like the first page is really great with all the detail but then it's like the second and third pages i guess i would call it a coletization yeah that there's not a lot of stuff in the background except for maybe an occasional trunk or something that they get thrown into but other than that there's really nothing it's all white and and yellow backgrounds and then it kind of when you get back to Rajo Ghoul the detail comes back goes away a little bit and some of the fight scenes comes back um, and then at the end when he's fighting Bronze Tiger it's a colonization again it's just a green background there's no floor there's nothing there's just standing in space you can't even see you, you know there's no reference it's just fight and then nothing in the ether <laughs> and then it goes back to detail again right so it is nice when uh okay when batman disarms the crook with the nunchuck that later when that guy shoots the dart at him he's got a big old knot on his head <laughs> it's it's a nice follow-through right I like that um so i mean it's i get nitpicks and i don't so i mean i guess that would make it average out again c plus b minus um, and the story, you know, Roger Gould's a dick, as always. <laughs> um, the Bronze Tiger is a little more interesting. Uh, it's sad that we had to see that woman. I didn't realize she wasn't coming back. Um, I give, I'll give the story a B. So C plus overall for me. Okay. Have you uh, have you started making your way through uh, Infinity Inc? Because I know you've been collecting that series. Have you have you read them at all? I I read them when they first came out. Oh, okay. I was collecting them, but that was a long time ago. And I so think you... I had read solidly up through about the first twenty issues, but I had never read anything past that. So now I've basically got everything except for three or four issues. Um, so, I mean, I'm, 
eventually I'd like to start reading through again, but I haven't yet. Well, what did you want to tell me? Well, the reason I ask is the you may be familiar with uh, with Don Newton because uh, after I think it was right after the initial um, penciler because the original penciler on that series was Jerry Ordway. He left at the end of the um, the Generations saga uh-huh. that ended with issue ten, and then Newton came on as the new regular penciler of the book. Um, but sadly, he uh, he died. Like he had, I think he had a heart oh. attack. If I remember right. So was that he, when McFarlane took over, or yes. was he just doing? Okay. Yes. So then, because Newton unexpectedly passed away, they needed to to get a, a new artist stat, and so they gave uh, this young kid his his first shot, and that was Todd McFarlane, who went on to. I mean, he's Todd McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, you know, it's it's tragic. You know what happened to Newton because he was young. He was—I want to say—he was like 53. He was really young, and he—he he has. Ah, a, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, he has a uh, relatively small Jason body of work. Robinson. Because he was just kind of breaking in, you know, and becoming. I mean, he was on his way to being a superstar when when this happened to him. It was really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least you know something good came of it with you know with giving uh, McFarlane his big break. Something very similar happened with uh, with Perez uh, and that same thing. Uh, I remember when when Dick Dillon uh, suddenly passed away, it gave Perez his, his big break to do uh, Justice League. So it's very similar uh, circumstances. But that's all I got on this one. I'm glad you guys liked it. I wasn't I wasn't sure what your reaction would be on this. Well, it's probably not going to be as solid as your opinion on my book. <laughs> Bring it. We'll go through this one fairly quickly, I would imagine. Uh, oh, no, other, we no, we won't. <laughs> the, other, the other day or a couple of episodes back, we were talking about Atlas Comics. We went through Wolf, number one. Uh, and for whatever reason, I went back to the Atlas Comics well. I guess probably it could be said once too often. Um and I pulled out Hands of the Dragon. So this was this book came out in June of 1975, or at least the cover date is June of 1975. And clearly it is yet another attempt to uh, exploit the martial arts trend of the 1970s. You know, the Bruce Lee thing, you know, trying to, to build on Master of Kung Fu a little bit. And we have the origin issue uh, with a cover by uh, Jim Craig who I guess had a little time off from the 1980 Olympics, Olympic hockey team at this point uh, to draw this cover, which uh, actually has the title separated from the artwork with the exception of the hand that, that bleeds into the title. But it has the dragon jumping towards the reader and then kicking a strangely tattooed villainous looking dude in, in the chin uh, and that guy's holding, you know, uh, Dirty Harry's gun. And you know, you know, on that cover, it wasn't until just now I realized where his foot was. I thought his foot was behind the gun, but then now I see it's tucked up behind his butt. Because I was thinking, wait a minute. I mean, when I first glanced at this cover, it's like, does he have like a metal leg? What the hell is that? But no, hey. now I see where his foot is. Okay, all right. <laughs> Go ahead. Just, this dude's got some strange tattoos, including like on his fingers, all sorts of colors. 
Uh, Did like a five-year-old tattoo this guy? Yeah, that's what, what the hell looks is that? Like. But then, you know, what's interesting is the place where his he's kids being got some of those rub-on tattoos out of the cereal, and then he, yeah, we he's get it. nice. He's a good dad. He let the kids put this, the rub-on. No, no, no. He fell asleep at the beach, and a bunch of kids rolled up and just let's put a let's put a moon on his face. <laughs> the place, the place where he's being kicked. There's a star drawn there, which in my opinion, is clearly drawn to indicate the force of the blow and probably like should have been tattoo. colored. It should have probably been colored yellow to separate it from, from the, the, uh, the tattoo. So, <laughs> but, but because it's drawn, because it's colored red, it almost looks like it's another tattoo, which would Maybe probably be even stupider than the other tattoos he has on him. Maybe we should call him Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> so... The, st- the story opens, and the splash page actually has a similar scene uh, with the dragon jumping towards uh, the tattooed dude. Who's is he jumping, shooting. or is he just taking a nap? Because he yeah, he's, just... he's got one hand behind his head as if he's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, we we flash back to draw, the... draw me like one of your martial artists, Jack. <laughs> 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 uh, this this script is by Ed Federy, F E D O R Y, art by Jim Craig and lettered by uh, edited by Larry Lieber. Uh, Larry Lieber was the uh, the editor of Atlas Comics in general at this point. And the brother um, of Stan Lee. Yes, brother, younger brother of Stan Lee. Is he still alive? I think he is, but I'm not 100% sure. Perhaps one of you could look that up. Sorry, I was picking out my next snarky remark further in the book. Okay, we'll be ready <laughs> for that. Uh, but, you know, just, just my first thought is Ed Federoy and Jim Craig, or Federy. Uh, the big thing about Atlas Comics was they tried to pluck away some big names uh, to, to, to take care of a lot of these books. This is not one of them. I was going to say, uh, I don't remember <laughs> these guys. So th- this, Maybe this Larry story, Lieber. You know, right off the bat, kind of, well, Larry Lieber was the editor-in-chief, yeah. though. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of of a little bit a little bit of Master of Kung Fu, a little bit of Iron Fist. Uh, we opened the actual story with the uh, grandfather of the dragon, and he's making his way uh, to a Kunlun-type village, uh, and in his backpack, he has twin babies, his grandchildren, and he, co- you know, he fights through all sorts of elements to, to make his way there. And yet these children seem to be OK with it. He's fighting. He's just barely getting through. But they're just kind of hanging out in his backpack. Uh, he fight- what are these he- kids eating? Well, he does fight a polar bear. So maybe he, maybe he, he, he fights okay. and kills a polar bear. And, a, and how does he kill blow. him? He, no, he kills him with a double fisted Captain Kirk blow. Well, yeah, so, and, so this and, is the second Captain Kirk remark we've had. How could, how could you, you know, you know, it's a Captain Kirk blow is taking you out. I mean, he snaps that, he snaps that bear's neck. So I, then, you know what I was really waiting for him was to slice it open and crawl inside it. I was like, do it, do it. <laughs> Wear that bear skin. So then he, he finally makes his way to the village where he comes in and he's, you know, he's clearly, uh, been there before and is is part of the the group there and he brings his grandchildren in and they have two women bathing the kids 
And then we have some really cool ads for the uh, superhero model kits. Uh, <laughs> and then, then uh, you know, we see the, the two twins training and clearly but one you of missed. But you missed the atomic ahead. bomb going off in the in the volcano or something in Mount Fuji. And well, that was a while ago. Yeah, but that's why. Well, supposedly, supposedly one of the kids is like severely burned, but I've yet yeah. to figure out what this burn is. But yeah, anyway. they don't really. They, they, they say it, but you oh don't my really god, see he's the hideous. scarring on him. Yes. Like what? Where? Who? Huh? Anyway. But but clearly the scarred child is more. Uh, Evil. Aggressive and evil, whereas the unscarred child is is just a good boy. And the two of them end up fighting, and the dragon wins that particular fight. But in the process, the grandfather gets speared in the chest, uh, and he's gonna die. He's gonna die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he dies. Uh, Dragon goes on to comes to is it to New York? I, oh, Southern California actually he tracks his brother, and and he becomes a uh, newsman. <laughs> because a news anchor, yeah. Yeah, I mean it just, and then then he he dons his kind of garish costume with the bright red pants and the blue, uh, I don't know, disco shirt, and no shoes with the big with the big medallion. So there's, there's uh, Hirohito Tanaka, Prime Minister of Japan, is giving a speech, and there's going to be an assassination attempt on him, uh, and some, some like radical crazy dude is yelling like very racist things about it to him. We don't need whale oil. We don't need. Why don't you stick to transistor radios and soy sauce? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, there's, there's all sorts of unrest in the crowd, but then. Uh, you know that's the big Lebowski, right? Yeah, Doctor. Well, Nhu. man, what are you doing, Doctor? Who? Doctor Nhu, who is the uh, mentor to uh, the evil dragon brother, and is the tattooed dude, is getting ready to assassinate the uh, prime minister, but the uh, the dragon comes down and, and kicks him in the face, like we already saw, and takes him out. But then the dragon says, "Where's my brother?" Uh, there's a more of a battle, and what is it? Does the dragon gets shot in the back? Shot in the back, and he he falls to the ground, but he's okay. And the uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know Tanaka is down on the ground, and and the guy who was yelling at him is 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 actually helping him now. He's a medical student, but he looks like he's he about. Is. But he looks like he's about 70. Um, but then the dragon gets up and says they have to rem- – he, he, need- he can't help him until they remove the uh, bullets. So he has to wait until the operation is over. He goes to the hospital. He gives him a medallion that will help him to live. We pass the page with the uh, very special people book, which has the snake guy, which is just so cool. I did order that as a kid. Uh, and the dragon – Declares he's going to have vengeance on Doctor Nhu and his brother, and we end we end the story there. And he's still got a bullet in his back. Yeah. And he had some like mystic mojo essence that left the medallion and brought the prime minister from the brink of death. 
yeah, it's it's not a good story. I'm, I'm you know, it's funny because you guys were thinking that like, like you were gonna upset me that you weren't a fan of this story. Uh, I oh, I you did, didn't like it? No, no, it's not. A, I mean, I, it didn't. It was it was serviceable. I mean, I read it and it was okay. I'm kidding. It's shit. I'm kidding. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. I, I didn't. It didn't bother me to read it. It wasn't like I was reading it and saying, "Oh my God, is this over yet?" But. Uh, but it wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think the artwork is kind of, kind of feels Charlton-like to me, with mm. the exception of John Byrne Charlton, which is a different animal. But uh, you know, overall, you know, it's it's not a great story. I don't know if they ever had an issue number two. Oh really? You know, <laughs> I looked that up, and now I can't. No, I can't remember. But I looked I, it up and I couldn't find an issue two, but it's possible I, there's one out there. I think you're right. I think there was not an issue two. Let me see if Mike's. I have Mike's pulled up here. I think Mike's has. Uh, but this book, the, the the most special thing in this book is if you go to page twenty six. This was where I got the fantasy of having home movies copies of the Planet of the Apes movies. <laughs> I, you know, they, they, what was it? All five films for just $36. But they were actually, I think they're, it was... They're only like, 12 minutes long. Yeah, 12 minutes each. So I have no idea what you actually got if you ordered these. Plus, I didn't own a projector, so it wouldn't have done me any good anyway. But I remember seeing this and, and just fantasizing about being able to watch these movies at home whenever I wanted, commercial free. And it just, you know, eventually that came true. This is This is the type of thing I fantasized about as a young kid. <laughs> yeah, the uh, frankly, the ads are the very best thing about this particular issue because you've got uh, the classic superhero model kits, you've got uh, Star Trek model kits, which are really cool. You've got Planet of the Apes, some Flintstones thing. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, some of the ads are really cool. Well, the and, very first ad has got free karate jiu-jitsu course given to every Charles Atlas pupil. <laughs> And it's a mixture of that and the, the, the old, you know, are you a wimp at the beach ad that you made famous years ago? <laughs> the insult that made a man out of Mac. <laughs> According to uh, Mike's Amazing World, this was the sole issue of Hands of the Dragon. Oh, God, we'll never know what happened. Oh, what a shame. All right. So this is from Go the ahead, Holocaust. Go ahead. From the holocaust of an atomic explosion comes the toughest kung fu fighter of them all. Okay, whatever. Okay. Um, so I, the, what? You go first, then I'll tell you what I thought was going on. But go ahead. All right. So, a couple of questions here. Um, for one, all right. So we're 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 given this, the time frame right at the beginning. It says, uh, "Where did he come from?" Our story begins in World War II, so or with World War II. So we see the old man, the grandfather. Leaving, uh, he must be leaving Japan, heading to China. Well, he's going to have a bitch of a time walking across the the waterway that separates those two. But anyway. That's why he gets uh, on the boat later. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot about that. All right. Um, so he's he's walking through Japan. Now, is this, so they're saying an atomic explosion. Um, is this supposed to be one of the two atom bombs? No, I figured it was just one that went missing somehow. 
Just just a uh, missing atomic bomb. How sure. Does a, how does an atom bomb go missing? Well, did, wasn't there one that actually was missing, or am I getting that confused with a Clive Cussler book? Uh, Probably. You got. Yeah. It. <laughs> All well, right, so so two things with this. Wait, wasn't uh, the Indianapolis carrying one? Uh, yeah, but yes. I, I believe I believe that happened on the return trip after they had dropped off the bombs. Oh, that's right. Okay, maybe that's right. All right. Um, Look, can I tell you my theory before you go too far away from the beginning? Go ahead. So the cover, right? It says from the Holocaust of an atomic explosion. Blah 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 blah. And I kind of look at the people on the cover, and I'm like, well, that guy's all weird looking and everything. And then I go to the first page, and I don't read anything. I'm just looking at it. And I see the hippie guy in the audience, and I see the guy with the tattoos. And I was like, is this some type of, like, commandy future type of weird, you know, future Earth well, also, because I didn't, know, I didn't know what was going on until I said, "Oh, wait, we go back to World War II." Oh, okay, so this isn't after an after an atomic holocaust. It was just a bomb going off in a mountain. Okay. Well, who is the corpse hanging from? That's the prime from, minister. Well, wait, wait a minute. Well, no, hold on wait. a second. That's a good question. Who is the corpse? Where are we? Was it? He didn't get hung. I thought somebody. Well, wait a minute. No, oh, I'm confused. I'm flipping back to it right now, but I don't remember him being hung, was he? He like was hung a, like, like a, a bear. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Nobody was hung. What is that? He was shot in the head. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. This yeah. book sucks. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I was kind of done with this story right from uh, right from the second page. So, you know, the first page is just the, the splash. So it's essentially a second cover. The first page of the story, page two, the old man's leaving Japan. And we get this we get three panels that zoom in on an atomic bomb sitting in the volcano. And then the atom bomb goes off. If you were this close to an atom bomb, you would be vaporized before you even realized what was happening. Well, it could also, be a tactical nuke. Well, I would, I would, I would beg to differ because they weren't. Well, it's the lava. It gets burned <laughs> by the lava because it's, because See, my, it's Mount because it's I Mount just, Fuji that explodes. I just, I just Captain Captain Kirked you. Well, also, the side of the bomb says USAF and then a bunch of numbers. Um, USAF is the abbreviation for the United States Air Force, which, which didn't, didn't exist, exist. until yeah. 1947. So, yeah, this, you know, uh, I realize they didn't have Wikipedia back in 75 when this was written. But still, Christ, you can't break out Encyclopedia Britannica or something and do a little bit of research on this kind of shit. That took me right out of the story. And then I realized they're trying to cram a lot of story into the very first issue to set everything up. But we have absolutely no setup for the dragon whatsoever. Is he supposed to be a badass? Yes. Is he the very best at what he does? Yes. Uh, well, why they... the hell is he wearing this goofy costume? Yes. Why is he wearing a mask? Why is he wearing Spider Woman's mask? Um, <laughs> he looks more then, like the tarantula than he does Spider Woman. Yeah, that's true. 
He does. Well, he well, looks he looks like a combination of Tarantula, Doctor Strange, and Spider Woman. Yeah, he's he's all kinds of. He's up. got he's got Tarantula's mask and well, Tarantula and Spider Woman's mask. Doctor Strange's hair and outfit and Shang Chi's pants. <laughs> well, then also through this entire issue. They're supposed to be making the distinction between him and his brother. Are they twins? I, I missed yes, that part. Yes. Oh, twins. they are twins. So they're supposed to be making the distinction between these twin brothers that not only is one good and one's evil, but one is perfectly okay, and then the other one is horribly scarred. Um, and yet they look exactly where? the same. <laughs> where are there any scars on this dude? He's probably going to burn on his butt or something. Uh, he must. It must be, you know, somewhere that's covered by his pants because, or even by his his outfit. Because the only thing I see that makes them different from each other is that one is dressed in, you know, Shang Chi clothes, and then the other one's wearing the monster of Frankenstein's clothes, <laughs> and that's about it. I, what the hell's the difference in? The, where is there a scar? I don't see a single scar on this guy anywhere. And there's several captions that refer to the horrible scarring that he received from the atomic bomb. Well, you know, um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to grasp here. Oh, well, you know why the old man was able to get them to the village and why the kids have such uh, strength and abilities, right? No. It was the radiation. Hey, it says it right in the story. Not, what is it? It, it? Yes, it says, but it was not only the children who were affected by the radiation. The old man found a greater strength than he had ever known before. Uh, his youthful and flexible muscles guided them across the torturous sea of Japan oh, and through the cold snows of the Himalaya. Himalaya! Oh, wait, that's the, the ride at the State Fair. Well, that was the other thing here is that the art, which for the most part, I don't fault the art. The art's pretty good. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's serviceable. But this sequence, I, I'm assuming it's somebody somebody's coming up to him in a boat and he gets on the boat. But it doesn't make that clear in either the art or the um, the caption boxes. Is that what's happening? Is, so on page three. I initially took that third panel to be two sequences. I yes, thought that's the way I see it. He's riding a, he stole a boat or got a boat, went across the water, and then he's hiking in the snow mountains. Yes. But the way it's drawn, see, the sky of the one and the snow of the other blur into the same thing. I think that was. A, I think that's. A, I, I'm not saying it's a good choice, but I think that was an artistic choice to try and be, you know, uh, innovative somehow. Try to lessen See, that's, panels. That's what I thought at first, but now I'm not so sure because I that figure on the boat. I I don't think it's what the figure old on man. the boat. Yeah, it is. Who I, else would it be? I, I think it's the monk. What monk? No. This is the one he meets the up next panel. The, uh... He says the monk's hospitality is a, is as wise as it is welcome. Yeah, when he when he gets there, he's planning what? for it. Okay. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That was part of my problem with this too, is I couldn't follow. It's inconsistent and all over the place. Yeah, it is. It is. It's very inconsistent, and it's it's 
it is nice that he does a double take that they actually show a double take but it looks like he has two heads when the, the bear is sneaking up on him and the bear's like oh give me a hug oh, oh. <laughs> oh i'm so happy to see you you look delicious let me give you a kiss oh you're breaking my jaw what the Poor bear. He just wanted a hug. I only needed a kiss. Snap! Well, if, I, if I wasn't already just done with this book, when he takes the, the round to whatever, the head, the back, whatever the hell it hits him, and then he's, it, it's just like, you know, he's down for a moment, and then he's right back. Down goes Frazier. <laughs> You, you look at the top of page 16, and it looks like he's he's dragging himself away on death's door, and then it cuts scenes, and then when it cuts back to him, it he's fine. Yeah, well, he got better. Yeah, he got better, all he's right. He's got the healing he, amulet. He sniffed a little something from the amulet. <laughs> Feeling good. Looking good, Billy Ray. <laughs> Could be on the beach. Earn 50%. Yeah, the rest of this would just be belaboring the point, but yeah, this this sucked. <laughs> Happy to bring you the suck. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was fun in a, in a shit like, what, what am I reading kind of way? It's one cliche after another. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not even a, I, I don't find anything original in here. It's all a bunch of cliches, you know, rearranged and strung together to, to try to create something, but it, it it doesn't work at all. It doesn't work. I mean, there's there's sequences in here that really should have been eliminated. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing at when he chucks the spear. It's like nowhere near going to hit anybody, and the old man pushes. No, it's like he, he runs like forward. He runs into it. Arg! Yeah. And then, and then the next shot, he's holding up his hand. Run, my cursed brother! If my eyes ever hold your hideous face again, you are dead. Hideous face? What? He look, well, You that, look like me. Angle, <laughs> by the angle of the old man's arms in that third panel. Does it look like the the shaft went from being in his chest to being in his back? back? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) So? He is one snappy dresser, though. I'll give him that. Ugh. So, okay, um, <laughs> might as well read it. Uh, <laughs> the cover, uh, you know, it, I don't feel the artwork is terrible on the cover, uh, but the perspective is, I guess it's it's not inappropriate because his foot is closer to you, it would be bigger. It's more the choice of the way they went for that, and then it's the fact that they made them i hate when they do the top third of the cover is just totally no artwork at all just color uh, <laughs> and then i'm not a fan of of, of just the, the tattoo coloring on on dr new or whatever his name is uh so 
it, it's like I said, I, I don't think the actual drawing is terrible so much as just the final product is. Uh, so I'm going to say a C minus on the cover. The interior art, like I said, it kind of reminds me of like one of those Charlton books where it's just it's it's serviceable, but it's just there's nothing special about it at all in the way it's drawn. Uh, the characters don't feel particularly distinctive. And then I think the greatest sin of all, which has gotten pointed out several times, is that the horribly disfigured face looks exactly the same as the handsome hero face. Uh, so therefore, uh, <laughs> he's probably got a he's got like a mole or something. I'm going to say a C minus on the interior art as well. The story just feels totally exploitive of the martial arts trend, but really with no effort to be original or creative or clever in any way. Uh, it's just kind of like, let's just get us to the finale, which we're trying to get to, but not really give you any depth or creativity. Uh, so I'm going to say a D on the story. And overall, I'll give the book a C minus. Uh, it was readable, but you know, it, 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 it wasn't painful to read. It's more painful to review than it was to read. <laughs> but uh oh. you know but it is what it is so the cover uh i just noticed uh the dragon is doing it looks like he's dancing in like saturday night fever also <laughs> i did mention it was a disco shirt yeah yep yep, yep. he's got the he's he's got the medallion to match too yeah uh yeah. If that I, gets hooked on something, he's going to hang himself. Just like the prime minister who didn't get <laughs> hung. He's hooked, on a, he's hooked on a feeling. Ooga chaka. Ooga, ooga, ooga chaka. So, I, I like the girl in the purple dress. Uh, girl she's nice. Girl in the blue dress, purple dress, purple dress. Purple dress, purple dress. She's she she's the best thing on the cover. That and the girl in the green looks like it almost looks like she's wearing a Star Trek uniform, but they didn't have that color of uniforms. The the girl in the green between the guy's legs. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> well, she is. <laughs> she's like there's like some new some new branch in Star Trek. You know, she's maybe bio uh, engineering or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's the two best things I see on the cover. So, uh, but still, I can only give the cover a C. Uh, oh boy, the look art. The, look at the heels on her shoes. Yeah, yeah, oh. baby. It's the seventies, all right. Oh boy, the interior art. <laughs> yeah, it's serviceable. Not consistent with the story. Well, not even consistent with itself. Like, you know, like, oh, wait, now it's in his chest. Now it's in his back. Uh, look, we hung a guy. No, we didn't hang a guy. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm dying over here. I'm fine. So, but that'll go to the story, too. So the the, the art is a C. And the story, yeah, it's I'm, I'm pretty much with Paul. It's a D. But it was fun to read real quick. But, yeah, when you start nitpicking it you're like you really you know it starts to fray it starts to fall apart so overall it's like c minus d plus 
All right. Uh, cover, I'm shocked by the both of you. I actually like the cover quite a bit. I, I think it's uh, it's dynamic. There's something about the, the trade dress and the, the red and everything that it, it works. I mean, it's very eye-catching. I didn't expect that this was going to be a pile of shit. I actually thought, ooh, I like the cover. This this could be fun. I mean, kung fu comics aren't really my thing, but I thought it could be it could be interesting. Um, I honestly think the cover is the very best thing about it. But uh, I don't mind the cover. But like Paul uh, pointed out, you know, the the star, you know, the the impact. Uh, symbol there by having it being colored the same color as some of the guys tattoos it it does make it a little bit weird um it should be a completely different color um than anything else that's on the cover and by making it the same color it just yeah it doesn't work somehow it it looks like a like a sticker that's pulling off of him or something (laughs) it just looks weird um, but overall, I like it. I think the perspective actually works. It's uh, it's cool. It's, it's almost a, a 3D esque um, type of image. So yeah, I, I kind of dig the cover. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'll go a B plus on the cover. I kind of wow. I kind of like it. Yeah, no, I, I do. I really do like it. I, the, the art style is very reminiscent of somebody. I just can't quite place it. Oh, but the, yeah, the, I, the I, actual I face of the dragon looks to me mm-hmm. like John Romita. Uh, See, I. That's, but 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 I don't think the the other art looks like him. Yeah, I I thought you know I was Ramita was one of the ones I was thinking actually uh, is what it reminds me of. I kind of wonder if this book may have been a, a many hands project anyway. Uh, I don't think it, I don't think Ramita had his hands on this because Ramita was pretty much, you know. Totally Marvel at this point. In fact, he would have been Marvel's art director at this point. Right. So I don't, I mean, I don't, think, he was, I don't the, think he was running over to Atlas to help them out. Right. As far as the interior art, though, I, I can't. I mean, there is no inker listed. All you've got is Jim Craig listed as the art. But if that's the case, then why is the art so inconsistent from page to page and sometimes from from like panel to panel? Uh, I'm kind of wondering if some some other people pitched in to help out, you know, with that's, the, that's very possible. That, um, that wouldn't shock me. But that said, I mean, the art other than the splash page, I think the splash page is just crap. Um, but other than the opening splash, most of the art in the book is, I mean, it's not, it's not spectacular, but it's not bad. Um, and there's actually some of it that's, that's pretty good. I get a serious um, Al Milgram vibe from a lot of the art in this. Um, or or not, I'm sorry, not Al Milgram, um, Jim Mooney, rather. Jim Mooney. Um, especially like page 10. The, the lower half, like the bottom five panels on page 10 remind me of like Jim Mooney from like Supergirl and Adventure Comics or something like that. Um, I just I kind of get that vibe from it. And then again, on page 13, um, that entire page reminds me of like Jim Mooney Spider-Man, uh, especially that middle panel with the, you know, 65 year old hippie guy here. Um, yeah, <laughs> Who's a medical really student. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't. So art wise, um, I'm going to say like a like a C plus. It's not spectacular, but I mean, it's not horrible. It's you know, some of it I, I actually rather like. So 
Uh, and then the 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 easiest grade of all is on the story. The story's an F. It's it just fails on every conceivable level. Um, it, there's shit that doesn't make any sense. There's you know it, it doesn't flow. It doesn't give you any sense of wait, what's going on? Who are these people? Why are they doing what they're doing? How did he get to be? Is he supposed to be the the biggest? The bat? I mean, it just it's it's just thrown together with every kung fu movie and comic cliche that they could possibly pull to try to throw all this shit into one story and and have it be exciting or something. And it does. It just doesn't work at all. So, yeah, the story's flat crap. Um, So overall, between those grades, uh, I think I'd end up having to give the book like a like a a D, honestly. Which is a shame because again, you know, I, I you know some of it's you know art wise is not bad, and I and I generally really do believe it or not, I really do kind of dig the cover on this. Um, but yeah, the the story was just terrible. I, I I wouldn't even say there honestly was a story. I don't think it, it just it, it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense. So there you go. All right, so that's a. Definitely an old school episode because we got in three books, <laughs> a Marvel, yep. a DC, and an indie. That's it's back to the old ways, <laughs> the old ones. I was I left that. here by the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guess we will see everyone next time when we will Ho- do something different. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll all three have a book. Hands of the Dragon number two. Oh. Oh. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. This is Bins! <laughs>